Silly Goose Gang podcast. And we are back in episode 40-40 of the Silly Goose Gang podcast. And we're joined tonight, uh, or this afternoon over in the East Coast there, uh, by Phil Daru from uh, Daru's Long <laughs> in Florida. So, uh, Phil, thanks so much for taking the time to jump on our podcast. Uh, thanks, brother. I appreciate you guys having me. It's great. Absolutely. We were just chatting. Uh, hopefully... Oh, yeah, I was just going to say, oh, hopefully, I know you're, uh, you, you've got some knee trouble over there, so hopefully a, a couple of um, Scottish guys can uh, can cheer you up a little bit, um, help help you through help you through this uh, this terrible time. <laughs> I'm, I'm smiling more than I have today, so I'll give you that. <laughs> that's, oh, that's good. That, that's good. That's good. I've had uh, 13 knee operations, including two ACL surgeries. So. I am feeling your pain in every way, shape, and form. Yeah, yeah, shit, that's crazy, man. That's a lot of that's a lot of operations just on on one particular side of the body, man. That's crazy. Well, uh, see, it's spread between the two, so I'm quite lucky. I've got one good knee that's had six, and then my bad <laughs> knee's seven, so I've got a slightly better knee that's only had the six operations. Um, and it's because when I was 18 and 19, and I played rugby and I played American football, but. Yeah. I, I thought I knew better than highly paid orthopedic surgeons. And when uh-huh. they would tell you, this is going to take 18 months, and you, you don't get that point about three months in, you go, actually, it feels okay. Yeah. And then you plant your foot to cut an angle, and suddenly your knee just goes, <laughs> and then you're back under yeah. the knife to fix the game. Yeah, we got to wrap. Uh, yeah, that's why uh, Ali Ali bails out quite early when we start playing leg locks. He doesn't like uh, doesn't like playing them because his legs his legs are fucked. I'm not, well, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to uh, feel any of that. As soon as you grab my leg, I'm tapping. So uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's uh, you know that's my favorite that's my favorite thing at the minute. So um, yeah. yeah, but so I get I get to fuck Ali's legs up. It's fine. Um, so yeah, the so you you say you 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 hurt the leg. Like a year ago, did you say? Yeah, I think it was December first or second, something like that, and then um, of last year, and um, got my MRI the thirty first, and then I was scheduled to go in for surgery. And I, I, I had I had a couple of things going on. I had a couple of fighters fighting. Um, Yoani and JTech and Dustin Poirier were both fighting like back to back, so I had mm. to be with them. So I didn't really want to get surgery then and be down. Um, so I had to wait for that. And then I, th- I think I, I, I started to schedule the initial procedure um, March, March or April, one of the one of those two. And that's when the whole COVID thing kind of went crazy on us over here. So they stopped mm. with uh, the, the non-emergency surgeries. And so it just got postponed. And we went through this whole thing. And I kind of just was like, all right, well, I was getting ready for surgery regardless. I was doing a lot of prehab stuff and working on joint integrity and stability and mobility um, prior to this, just in general, but I really focused on it. But, and then, you know, after it got basically shut down, um, I was like, man, I'm just going to get stronger. And so I, I just kept, I just kept lifting and kept moving around as, as safely as possible, not doing any type of uh, high impact work or rotational work or lateral force mm. It was just basically in the sagittal plane, and I was just getting stronger there. The only thing I would do was uh, a lot of sled drag variations and building up my posterior chain. So people see my videos, they're like, how are you doing that with no ACL? Was this, well, because I, I strengthened up all the muscles surrounding that 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 mm-hmm. issue. So 
that was what carried me over um, into, you know, getting the surgery now just recently last week. So I'm about a week out yeah. out from surgery. So I'm, I'm, I'm going through the motions right now. Okay. How, um, you know, just because you said you were training um, at the time, Joanna and, and Dustin, do you, mm. are you well enough, um, do you know those guys well enough that you having a fucked up knee doesn't really affect the coach inside at all because they kind of know your procedure and how you expect them to do things. You don't have to show them too much. Yeah, with the with the with the higher level guys, I like to be hands on, you know. So with the ones that have the biggest fights coming up and and things of those, like I'm a very hands on coach, you know. I, I don't really I don't even like to do online coaching a, a whole lot, um, but if I have to, I will, and if people need my help, I will. Um, I got a guy um, by the name of Scott Askham who's out in uh, England right now. Uh, he can't get over to, so I'm I'm I'm. I'm doing more virtual coaching for him, but you know, that's very seldom that I'll do that. You know what I mean? Because I like to be hands-on. I like to see my athletes. I like to communicate with them daily. I like to see how they're moving. Um, and if I can't show the movements properly, it's very hard for me to communicate. Um, a lot of the fighters like to see it first and then they can basically imitate it. So I, I usually show all the movements and it's obviously going to be very hard for me to do so with one, one leg. Um, but we still are able to do what we need to do. Like right now, I have a team of coaches. I just recently left the American yeah. Top. So now I have a team of coaches that that work with me in my gym, and they're taking over right now for me. So I'm very grateful for that, you know, and having the ability to to have that, you know, regulated to the point where I don't need to be in there all the time, which is very important for for a business owner and for a head coach, you know, a head coach of a whatever yeah. whatever you're the conditioning or skills. You need to have assistant coaches that can help you out even when you're down or you can't get to the gym. So you develop a system and that system needs to be able to be uh, produced in all aspects with, with you not being there at all times, you know? So that yeah. was kind of setting up the, uh, the principles and setting up the entire platform so that these people can do what they need to do, even when I'm absent. So how do you how do you pick the guys that you want to work with? You Phil? do you is it is it is it, is it guys that um, you know? Is it guys that have trained under you before? How do you like, how do you go around that? Like you say, that's such an important part of the team to have guys that you can trust one hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's funny, man. I get questions like this all the time when like guys want to intern with me and and they want to coach with me, and I I I really am looking at experience more than just uh, an educational background. You know, I do want them to be educated. I do want them to have some type of degree because um, that shows me that they were diligent enough to get through school. Um, but for the most part, I want to see experience either in fighting or in coaching, strength yeah. and conditioning. Uh, so with me, I have all of my coaches that are with me right now. They all have a mixed martial arts, boxing, some type of background. Um, and at yeah. the high level, too, I have uh, Anne-Marie, who is a two or three-time world champion boxer? I have yeah, uh, yeah. I have Maureen Shea, who's my assistant, who is a two-time world champion boxer. You know, I have Desmond Moore, who's an NCAA All-American wrestler and a professional fighter, who is the director of performance for me. So these 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 individuals have not only knowledge of my training and my systems because they've actually trained with me as a fighter. Mm also have experiences in the fight game itself. So yeah. fighters really, really apt to take in more advice from them because they can connect with them on that level, you know, 100%. and there 
you know, it's very hard for an athlete to buy in to an assistant coach who, one, doesn't have the experience as the head coach and, two, has never done anything similar to the things that they're doing inside the cage or the ring. So that's that's where I look at it. You know, I know that's kind of like it's very hard to come by, but I like it because the fighters that I have now, these guys are at the end of their career. And so I'm giving them an opportunity to change careers and be successful in a, in a new career. And that is strength and conditioning or coaching or whatever they want to do. So mm. very, very grateful to, to have that ability to do that. And then also um, it, it gives me a, more of a sense of a purpose to bring these people that don't have, you know, an option or they don't feel like they have an option. We can take them and, and bring them into a new world but still be in the same sport that they love, you know, and help the people that ultimately. Yeah. It's, um, it's uh, yeah, I mean, so I came from a, an amateur boxing background in Scotland. And, you know, when when I first started, some of the coaching, some of the coaching still is absolute fucking nonsense. Just <laughs> shit. Just everybody could turn up and, and you know, take, teach a boxing class. And when you, you know, when you were a novice, you had a few fights, you just kind of went, well, I mean, if this is what it is, this is what it is. And then once you became one of like the experienced guys, you were like, this is this whole, this whole system from the minute you walk into the door to the minute you walk out the door is fucking nonsense. But it's all these, it's all these, genuinely, I can remember Phil um, getting offered a fight. And the guy who run the, the the boxing club was like seventy years old at the time, and he was like, "Just get a black bag on, go and get your working boots, and <laughs> go and run about all night." And he's going, "What the fuck?" Like, <laughs> and then at at the time when you had had like three fights, you just going, "Oh, okay, yeah. and this is what you do." Yep. And then you know, looking back, once you got to like a decent level, you're like, "Who the fuck is telling anybody to do that?" You complete dickhead. <laughs> it's just you know what I mean. It's it's uh, you know, but that stuff still goes on. So, yeah, um, yeah. the coaching uh, so important, and also having a knowledge of the sport and having an understanding of the science behind it as well is so key. Because I I get not from the boxing, I said they're rugby and American football, um, and obviously in Britain, American football was was very very low level. And then the World League and then NFL Europe came over and we got exposed to coaches from NFL level, from NC2A, uh, Division One level. Um, some of the players came across and you could see the level of coaching improve, which then improved the players. Um, and having that difference, or sorry, that understanding of that top level makes a massive difference. Yeah, yeah I could see that. And it's funny because, uh, you know, it's not... American football, obviously is our biggest sport here in America, right? Um, And that's usually where the coaching really excels, you know? But I I see overseas in other countries where there's other sports like like football, like European football or rugby, for instance, that over here, it's not that, it's not that high level when you're talking about coaching, when you're talking about athletes, because it really depends on the area. And so, when it comes down to fighting, though, however, I feel like that is very, uh, it's very international. I feel like it's it's prime, you know. So finding coaches to develop these athletes, these fighters, um, it should be a lot. I don't want to say easier, but it should be a simpler find as opposed to you know somebody trying to be an expert in putting a ball into a basket, you know, something of that nature. 
really where, you know, fighting is in your DNA. You know what I mean? So that's why I think that a lot of people will take to it. I think that's why any, any combat sport is highly watched because people think or they feel like they can relate to that no matter what. Yeah. 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 It's, um, I think, uh, I think it was Dana White that said, uh, every sport, sort of descends into fighting so why not just take away the sport and fucking fight <laughs> it's like it's one of those things where you know it all descends into, descends into fighting so why not just fucking fight yeah, yeah, um yeah. but yeah do you find um like i don't know if it's a thing in america but certainly over here um mm-hmm. it seems like the guy the guys who fought at the higher level tend to be not the best coaches and the guys who maybe weren't the best fighters become really good coaches. I don't know if is that a thing that translates into America. I think so. Um, you know, I think that because of the fact that those guys have to put so much time and effort and energy in them in themselves, and they're very selfish. Mm. Have to be. Um, it, it's very hard to transition into being a coach because they feel like everybody should be able to do what they've been able to do. You know, and it's not yeah. the case where the yeah. guys. Well, maybe second tier regional scene guys or whatever um they have the ability they, they have the ability to be uh, selfless because they had to help their teammates out all the time if they were a training partner partner whatever um you know they had to do that in, in any sport in general um it's, it's funny it's like they say if you if you can't do you teach so at the end of the day yeah. it kind of makes you know worldwide um yeah you know, the, the thing with me was that I was always I was always willing to help, but I was always a captain of my teams. And I feel like if you can take on that leadership role, it can transfer over into coaching very well, as long as you don't have the highest expectations for every single individual that you coach. You know, it, yeah. it's hard for me at point at, at times. That's why I don't really work with the general public a whole lot, because I, I watch them and I'm like, why can't you just squat? Like, why can't you just do yeah. a lunge? You know what I mean? Or why can't somebody just throw a straight right or, or a jab correctly? You know, and it's not it's it's a point of understanding that not everybody is born with that natural ability, you know, yeah. where yeah. ability is just not there. Yeah, that's I mean, yeah. I mean, not everybody's going to be the world's strongest man or not everybody's going to be, you know, Khabib. So you have to, uh, you know, kind of understand it. You know, this guy's uh, might just. You know, might just want to be a, a reasonable powerlifter for fun, or they might just want to have a few fights. So, yeah, from a coaching perspective, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Luckily, uh, yeah, yeah, it's um, yeah, it's uh, it's quite an interesting thing coaching. But you know, I'd like to eventually become a, a you know a jiu-jitsu coach. Um, you know, way down the line. Um, so it's it's quite interesting to watch, study how your coach does things. You know, even just like the little things that you don't realize that he's actually doing, you know, to other guys to kind of understand and, and, you know, create a nice bond within the team and all this kind of stuff. So it's quite nice to, to think about that down the line. But, um, yeah, I guess you're, you're, you've worked with uh, some of the, you know, the absolute best. Um, who's, who, what's, the common, what's the common trait, Phil, between all these, you know, the best guys? What's the common denominator? Just, just their, their confidence, you know, I do see the, the true common denominator is, is confidence. Like whether I'm talking to Joanna or Dustin, you know, or Amanda Nunes, they're super confident in their abilities. They think they're the mm-hmm. best in the world 
at all times. Even when they lose, they still think they're the best in the world. And, and they should they should feel like that. Otherwise, they won't be where they're at today. They won't be the elite, you know, and that's that's one thing. You can work hard. There's a lot of hard workers in the gym. And, and, and if you're a fighter or an athlete in a professional level or in the college level and high school level, because some kids are really hungry, I see that, that you know, the guys that are that are fairly there all the time, very consistent, um, they work hard. They can either be very good or they can be subpar, you know, and, and it, so the work ethic there should be all the way around. You should always have a hard work ethic. But I know that, you know, even the guys that work hard, there's a reason why they work harder because they're not necessarily, and I hate to say this because it sounds kind of bad, but there may not, there may be an, an issue of the confidence thing. And they're trying to build confidence based off of their preparation and their work ethic, which that can help for sure. You know, and yeah. I think on the come up, on the rise to being elite, it takes that extra effort. It takes that, you know, less of sleep. Um, it takes that, you know, that one more training session. And even though it may not be um, the best thing to do from a health standpoint, um, from a mental standpoint, it, it's going to give you the confidence needed to go into the cage ring you know, playing field with the most amount of confidence in your preparation and your approach to getting the job done. And so when it comes down to the elite of the elite, they already have that, you know, and now mm. it's to the point where they're learning their body and they're understanding how to properly manage their own fatigue because they already have yeah. that. Confidence. They know that they need to, yeah. they know that they need to prepare for the fight or the, or the game. Um, but they also have to be smart in their approach and getting people around them to buy into that same approach is what's going to take you to the next level because you're only as good as your teammates on the side. You see what I'm mm -hmm. saying? The guys that are working with you, the guys that are training with you, sparring with you, if those guys don't get good, you're never, you're going to still be the same because they'll never challenge yeah. you. You see what I mean? So you have to bring yeah, those. Yeah. And that's why, I also see if you're talking about common themes, you know, you see guys that want to bring other people up to help them because they know if they help them get stronger, get faster, get better technique, they're going to ultimately help them get stronger, get faster, have better technique, you know, and push yeah. the envelope more and push their, you know, push their training to the next level. And that's why, yeah. you know, gyms like AKA and American top team and, and you know, and, and Jackson wink and those, those gyms there, Sanford MMA, um, there's like an iron sharpens iron type of deal where mm. all the individuals are very, very good. So when a, and when a major athlete, an extreme champion comes into the gym and he has other killers around him, he has no choice but to get better because he has to fight every day in the gym. It's not a walk in yeah. the park. You know? So it comes a time yeah. where you, you get to that level where you can't be the biggest fish in the smallest pond you need to even out the playing field a little bit to get better yeah that's um one of the things one of the things um you know the difference is you know to america to scotland or even the uk in general is there's such a depth and talent um that that stuff doesn't get it i mean yeah there's, there's a, you know the only place in scotland like that would be higher level um mm -hmm. which is not a million miles away like steve ray trains out of there in the UFC, um, Dan, Danny Henry as well, and that's kind of like the the go to place. Out with that, there's not, you know, there's nowhere else with high high level, you know, multiple guys. So 
Um, you know, it must be amazing to be in, you know, one of those gyms, you know, Jackson Wenk or, you know, ATT and, you know, fucking John Jones walks through the door or Amanda Nunes walks through the door. You're like, holy shit. Um, the the only thing, the only thing that, um, I I can compare that with is in the, the, the Scottish national team, the boxing team, um, you know, there was one, there was only one session, you know, you know, Josh Taylor. Yeah, the hundred and forty. Yeah, so Josh Taylor was in the GB team, and he came back to train with the Scottish team like once. And mm-hmm. you know there was a, there was a lot of good guys in that team. Josh just stood out so much. He was yeah. so much better than everybody else. At, but you know, I was there, and you go, "Holy shit, that's Josh Taylor!" And then it was like, "You fucking must work harder, way harder." Um, <laughs> so yeah, but that was the only time that ever happened to you. But it's not, you know. No, the, you know the 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 confidence things uh, and tra- I've only had one friend from that whole team. You know, Josh Taylor went on and done really well. Um, uh, a friend of mine called Kieran Smith. He's a, a light middleweight, mm-hmm. really good, and he's the only guy that I see that actually trains properly. Everybody yeah. else does, you know, the traditional old school kind of boxing shit, and you go, yeah, okay, you're training hard, but you're not training smart. Kieran does everything right. And when he's from the first bell, you know when you, you can see a fighter, Phil, and he, the way they respond to the bell and come out and you go, he's, this, this guy's confident or this girl's confident. You know, just yep. the body language. They go, I'm confident that I have 12 rounds or, you know, whatever it is, you know, five rounds in, in the MMA. Um, and they look confident and it, it just radiates out from them. Like, and, oh, yeah. oh, this guy's, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. that, the, Like you say, the confidence um, side of things, so. I can only imagine what I can only, I can only imagine what like Joanna's like on fucking when she's when she's just about there. It must be uh, something to be around. It's um, <laughs> it's so funny, man, because I know I know her on a personal level, you know, and she's okay. she's like a sweet girl, like super nice, um, cares about everybody, but during that fight week and then that fight night, she hits a switch and like. Oh, now okay, she's champion now. She's not you want to you want a champion. Yeah. Uh yeah, it's like she's untouchable, you know. And I, you I, can I, say, I, much, I, think, I was gonna say how much sorry, I, I, I was just, just gonna say I think I think um Oh, sorry. Oh you go No, I was gonna say I there was a fight with Joanna. I think it might have been Rose Namajunas the first time. And she had like a water bottle and on it it had like it was like, like whatever it was, ten days till I get to punch a bitch in the face, and like his bitch had it on Instagram, and he just looked at you like she's fucking crazy. Like she seems like, you know, because you see her, you know, Instagram when there's no fight on, and she's on a boat and she's out, you know, having fun. But then like she seems to be so mean, like like just seems so mean on the build up to a fight. It's uh, yeah, it's like um, she seems like um, I would say. She turns it on. She usually come. She'll come to to camp about eight weeks out, maybe ten weeks out, and then she's good for a good maybe three weeks. She's still she's still happy. She's still, and then all of a sudden you get to about four, five to six weeks out, and it's like a switch has been made, you know. And you're like, yeah. oh, here we. And I and I know because we've been through. I think this is we've been through. I want to say seven or eight camps together. So. Mm. But she's awesome, man. She's actually really, she's a pleasure to be around because you know yeah. she has excellence. 
And that's something yeah. that I love to be around. I love to be around people that do extraordinary things that are exceptional and phenomenal in life. And that's, that's something that she is. So it's, it's really dope to be around because that's, that's what we all strive to be. We want to be successful. Yeah. We have to be around yeah. those people. And that's why I feel like being around those individuals helped me catapult my career as a coach and really mm. get to level and be successful because of the fact that I was around, I had no choice because I was around such greatness, you know? Yeah. How, how much more energy does someone like, uh, you mentioned like Amanda, Joanna, uh, Dustin, how much more energy does that bring when they're heading towards that pinnacle of the fight camp, those last two or three weeks to like the general room? Because I'd imagine there's more than just, you know, one-on-ones going on. Does it, is there like that, that buzz around the place when you know it's coming in and feeds on to the other fighters that are maybe out of camp or maybe heading into a camp? Does it all kind of translate across? Do they all work together like that, Phil? Yeah, I mean, it's hard because, you know, um, with, with like Joanna and Dustin, we usually keep them separate because they're so intense, you know, mm. and uh, very hard for other fighters. Especially when, when we're talking about strength and conditioning primarily because they want to compete at everything they do when they get into that, that particular phase of, of camp. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's definitely cranked up another notch. When we were getting ready for Habib, when, when Dustin was getting ready for Habib, it was I had to take him outside of the gym even like he couldn't even go into the gym um, for his strength and conditioning. So like because they're there all the time um, when I was at American Top Team, they were there all the time. So they would come in, they would do the jujitsu, they would do the grappling, they would do the sparring. And then they would have to come back to me at night. And they, you know, most of the time you don't want to see those walls again, man. It's just this is like monotonous. So we used mm-hmm. to take them, we took them out to the field, into the turf and up the stadium stairs and that was something where we kind of we were able to capture that um, that particular scene in, in, in a lot of like my videos and his videos for his uh, for his sponsors. But you could just feel it, you know, in there. And when you have something so, I guess. It's so astronomical. It's the biggest event for the, of their lives, in a sense. Right. Mm. Um, your sense of urgency and your approach is heightened because you know that this is going to change their life their lives in many ways you know so that's the goal when we're talking you know getting to an individual's mindset we have to make sure that we know that this is the breaking point this is the time where we need to put up or shut up and Mm. that's the type of stuff that i really live for in a sense as a coach um, those those very high priority fights, you know, it, it's fun. Obviously, any coach would say that, but me living it for so long right now and, and doing it so many times, um, it's the only thing that I that I always said only thing, but it's it's definitely a highlight of my of my career and my life when those happen. You know. Yeah, is it difficult? Um, or, or I know it will be difficult, but how difficult is it? You know, when you you know. Uh, again, Joanna, because you had that outrageous fight with uh, Zhili Zhuang. I, how difficult is it for you to watch that when you are personally friends with her? Yeah, it was tough. I was at, I was in Vegas and I watched it um, in the stands. And um, you know, I'm so biased, so I'm like, I'm like watching the fight and I'm watching her get off on Wei Li, and I'm like, all right, she's doing really well. And then I started to see her take damage and. In my mind, I'm like, oh, no, she's winning the fight and they're doing real well. Then I like 
I think it was like the third or fourth round, and I was like, um, I looked back, and I'm like, damn, this is a really fucking good fight. Just as a fight fan, I was like, this is one of the mm. best of the century, like almost, you know what I mean? And yeah. uh, it was it was difficult to watch because I know I know how much damage she took and how how much pain she was in, you know, mm. taking shots. And even though it's not it's not as bad as it seems, it is painful to get to get hit, you know, over and over in the same spot with the hematoma yeah. just growing out of the side of your head, you know. So mm. it was it was difficult to watch for sure. But uh, we went to the hospital and she was like, you know, again, true champion, smiles all the way around. Got back to the hotel and we partied in her hotel room with all of the bandages on her head and her her head swollen, swollen beyond belief. You know, and, uh, and all of her Polish family in there. So we, we parted till about, I want to say, seven in the morning. And I was like, man, I got to go, you know. But it was, it was <laughs> yeah, she's, was she, you know, but yeah, watching that, it is difficult for sure. I had to, I actually left, I left where I was sitting and I went up to the VIP section with the rest of the UFCPI guys. And I kind of didn't even want to watch the ending of it because I was just it was just accumulation over and over again. I just got a couple of drinks and started backing them off, you know, backing them down. And that was it. man. But, yeah, it was it was crazy. What? I'm always interested. This is the part I'm always interested. Um, Phil, so like, you know, in that fight and, you know, when Deontay Wilder fought um, Tyson Fury and then, you know, they wanted an, an immediate rematch. And I'm going, if I was the coach, I'd be saying, listen, go and rest for six months, do nothing, you know, have a good break, because that was a hell of a fight. So what, yeah. what do you, uh, you know, as a friend and as a coach, do you tell her to don't take anything for a while, or do you say get right back in there? In my, in my opinion, that fight, I felt like she won the fight, and she won mm. it. I mean, honestly, like, I know there's no real winning unless you actually win, but I feel like yeah. she lost on the scorecards. I think she won in people's eyes, a lot of people's eyes. Um, yeah. know that she likes to take breaks because of how long she's been in the sport and how long she's actually been fighting. She has over 150 kickboxing Muay Thai fights, not including yeah, anything. Yeah. So it's been a long time of, of, of putting herself through the ringer and putting herself through camps. So, you know, we like to give her, she likes to give herself a lot of time off. And I like the fact that she likes yeah. to take because she yeah. has a lot of things going on in her life. So that, that's always a good thing. And yeah, I, honestly, man, I wouldn't be surprised or and I wouldn't be mad if she retired after that fight, you know, even though mm. she lost on the, on the scorecards or whatever. Um, you know, I, I, I believe it was a moral victory in my opinion. You know, yeah. With that. yeah. But I, yeah, I completely know agree. who she is and she's not going to retire off of a loss, you know, or at least, you know, she's mm. going to try not to. So, I mean, we'll see what happens next. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree with that completely. It's one of those fights where you go, uh, you know, it's been a hell of a career, a great career, really, you know, she's hopefully made uh, a good good amount of money. And, you know, you know, especially when you like somebody, you go, why, you know, why do you, why do you continue to get hit in the head now? What, like, you know, you've achieved everything. Uh, but, <laughs> like you say, that, that, you know, it's easy. Right? I think, uh, you know, fighters are a different kind of breed. And uh, you know they always believe there's one more there. So, oh yeah. Um, you know, actually, actually, we had a friend, another friend of mine, actually, uh, a guy called uh, Gareth Walker. He's the current British bare knuckle heavyweight champion. 
and uh, you know he 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 won it, lost it, and won it back. And uh, you know he was you know maybe having one more, you know, because he's forty years old now. Um, a guy that I had boxed in the amateurs, and he said, you know, I'm starting to slur some words, and I'm like, man, like stop, like just why are you doing this now? Like stop, like don't fucking do it anymore. And he's yeah. kind of like, no, nah, you know, mate, you know, I might fucking have one more, and you know, come down and spar. And I'm like, no, I'm not hitting you in the head, man. If you're telling me you're slurring words. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's it's you know trying to tell them enough enough. That was one of the main reasons why I retired really from the sport was the fact that I was getting concussions. You know. Um, yeah. I mean, I had a, a series of concussions from football, from American football. Yeah. You know, yeah. from since I was seven years old, and I was like, man, listen, the last fight I was getting ready, I was two weeks out from my last fight. And uh, I got I got kicked in the back of my head by by a training partner, and we were just drilling. We weren't even really going live, and um, you know I was concussed for a few days, and then it just didn't subside. And I was like, all right, I I, I canceled the fight, and then I went and go, gone and seen a neurologist, and they were just basically telling me like I got to stop now, otherwise I'm gonna have Alzheimer's mm-hmm. by the time I'm 50, and it's not gonna be a good look. Yeah, and yeah. I had the decision to make and. And I was thriving as a coach and as a, a, a for my own business itself. So I was like, you know what, man? Yeah. I had a newborn son on the way. I was like, you know what? It's more important for me to, to do what I know I can do and take it to the next level. You know? yeah, definitely. I, I remember reading uh, when, when Troy Aikman, talking football, when Troy Aikman retired because of the concussions, and he said the last time he got a concussion, he was still feeling the effects of it a year later, a full calendar year later. And he was still waking up with headaches from it. And that's when he was like, I'm going to have to hang up the pads and the lid. I don't care how much money I'm making. I don't care. I've just came off a, you know, an MVP season. At some point, you just have to say, well, you know, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> For sure. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. It's when, you, it's when you count up, um, I've, you know, I can't up once. I've tried to count uh, how many times you've been hit in the head, you know, from sparring and from fights. And it, you know, I I gave up, you know, around like, you know, well into, you know, many thousands, five, six, seven thousand. How do you, how, you know, how do you count it? You're going, that's a lot of fucking, because, you know, I thought about, um, I did a little bit of MMA sparring just recently. I kind of thought about having an MMA fight, but yeah, just like, fuck this shit, man. I, I don't fucking need to be, I've got too many other things to do. I, I don't need to get in there. I've had my fun. Um, and, uh, yeah, you, you know what? It's good when, not, not that I'm calling myself smart, but it's good. To, like you're saying, it's good when you're smart enough yourself to go. Yeah, probably. Fucking, this is probably. It. I don't. I don't have to do this anymore. This is dumb, man. Let somebody else get hit in the head, and I'll watch. It. It um, did. It took me. It did take me a while, though. It took me like two weeks to really like be like, all right. I think this. I think it's. And I had to talk to one of my coaches, you know, and 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 actually get his advice, you know. And once he kind of gave me the the go ahead in a sense, I was like, all right, well time for me to go move move on and do something that i know that i can be successful in so that's what happened yeah yeah i don't know i don't know how many i know i've had a, at least eight of them and that's where like i, I kind of put the number there but i there's been plenty more you know what i'm saying just yeah ones that i know of put me yeah, out I was, were you sitting there phil you started playing football at seven was that full tackle football at seven or was that did it start high school for tackle football no, nah, no. Nah, we I started Pee Wee football seven years old, and my first concussion I was seven years old. So. Uh, I was gonna say, and you would have been, and again, uh, I don't know how you are, but I would imagine you're probably of a similar era-ish to me, where you were told by your coach just to uh, shake it off, and if you can't shake it off, blink it off, 
Yeah, yeah. They, t I mean, they taught us back then. They taught us to lead with our heads. So yep. would <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were told. I got told my first day playing American football. I was told when you're blocking, the first point of contact needs to be your head, then your hands. Bear in mind, I played wide receiver, so I was like, okay, that seems sensible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We used oh, to be. Man. How many scratches do we have on our helmet? And that was like a badge of honor. Like how many scratches uh... we had. Butts in the helmet. So. Yeah, it was wild, man. It's, um, I remember, um, I remember getting uh, a while ago now, um, uh, sparring, and I fucking for some reason decided to run to the gym, which is like six miles. So I ran to the gym, uh, and then they said, Do you want to spar? And because you know, you, you know, I've been a fighter, you go, Yeah, I'll, fight, I'll spar. And I got caught bang on the chin, uh, and got rocked to my socks. And it's one of those things where, you know, the coach goes, right, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, 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 I'm fine. Uh, done that round, another round, and at the end of the next round, you know, coach, you're not okay, are you? I was like, I have no fucking idea what's going on, man. I don't, I don't know what the fuck's going on. And he's like, get out the fucking ring. But, you know, being a fighter, you're like, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm just, I'm just a bit tired. Uh, I know. It. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, man, it's fucking so stupid. Uh, yeah. Phil, did you have the cheat where if they were testing concussion back in the day, I, I'm guessing your games of, of football were normally on the same day. And one of the standard questions we used to ask was, what day was it? And I always knew it was always a Sunday, no matter what. So as long as I got Sunday out, they would well, let me go back. In the pack. <laughs> with one exception, we were playing a playoff game and it was on a Saturday and I just said Sunday. <laughs> and that was the like, you got to sit down there, man, you're not getting back in the field. I was like, oh, damn it. Yeah, they would, they would ask you. Where, where are you right now? And then, that, but I really, I, I remember in games because in high school we play Friday nights. So in games, I would I would be on the field and thinking I was on the sideline or I'd be on the sideline thinking I was on the field or not knowing the transition between getting off the bench and back on the field. And when that kind of, the, the time lapse was like not there. So I'm like, wait a minute, I was just on the field. What happened? You know what I mean? So, that, that, and then I went and then I played it in college. And then that was even worse because I was an undersized uh, linebacker slash strong safety. So, and I was a gunner on the kickoff team. So I was wow. busting through a wedge of 300, you know, 300 pounders. You know what I mean? So, um, but yeah, it was interesting. It was interesting. Like I, I, how many years that is, I don't even know. It's probably like 15 15, yeah, about 15 years, give or take. And then and then you add on MMA, you add on another eight to 10 years. That's a lot of years. Just to explain to Chris what a gunner is on the kickoff, Chris, you basically run at full speed for about about 60 yards, would you say, Phil? And then run headfirst into someone and hope that seems you don't get knocked well. out. Seems, seems like a good idea. I don't yeah. see any problems. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> It's similar to like, the first dumb motherfucker in like the old school you know, class of of war. You know when they all come together. I'm the first dumbass of everybody, all of them. So that's it. Now, when you when say when you say fun. when you say you are undersized, though, what uh, what what size? What, what how big are you? Because we had an NFL guy on uh, a linebacker. What was uh, Joe oh, Holly? Joe Holly, lineman. He played lineman for the oh, Falcons. Lineman, and sorry. Big guy then. Yeah, I was, I'm, I'm, I'm five, so I'm five, eight, 
and I was probably about two, two, two ten, two oh five. Right. Okay. Oh, that's undersized. Pounds. Yeah. I mean, uh, undersized yeah. for division Division One AA college football. So definitely. Uh, Joe uh, Joe Hawley was telling us, you know, I, I'm not an American football guy, and Joe Hawley was saying, you know, I'm quite small, you know, I was, uh, you know, I, you know, I was like six two and a half, six three, and like two eighty, and I'm like, what? What? You're a fucking <laughs> giant! What the fuck are you talking about? For a lineman, though, for a lineman, he's he's undersized. Yeah, for from a, a weight perspective, bro, we had guys that were like six five, three hundred and twenty pounds. It was fucking ridiculous, you know. Huge, but that's a giant. That's yeah. a giant human being, right? Yeah. Um, so, one of the things, I, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, um, you know, I mentioned bare knuckle boxing. I seen you doing some stuff with um, Paige. Yeah. Um, how do you like? What's your what's your thoughts on the bare knuckle thing? Man, you know what's hard, man. I, I'm not really fully bought in, to be honest with you. I, I I'm gonna say that in confidence. I hope it I hope it does well. You know what I mean? Um. And I'm gonna get Paige ready for it. I have another guy, Jake Boswick. He's over there. He's from he's from London, but he lives mm-hmm. in Miami now or lives in the US. And um, you know, Jake's had over 30 MMA fights. Okay. And so transitioning over to that. And Paige obviously is a world renowned fighter. Everybody knows mm-hmm. who she is. Um, when it comes down to it though, man, I don't know if it's ever gonna get as big as MMA or boxing yeah. you know, in yeah. general know if the public is really gonna take to it as much because of so much not so much of like i know it's less it's actually less damaging because they don't throw yeah. a lot yeah. the lacerations is what's gonna cause people to not tune in you know what yeah. i mean all the but in the cuts and things of that nature that's gonna cause a lot of the lay fans not yeah. really want to check it out and that's yeah. that's gonna be trying to you know build the brand and, and build you know sales and and viewing so we'll see what happens but again i'm gonna get her ready you know they're obviously paying very well um for athletes that are looking to go ahead and transition you got like tiago alves is going in there hector lombard these are all my guys i used to work with that are our friends um that i want to see do well and they're getting paid very well and it's good for them because you know again their mma careers aren't aren't there anymore they're 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 trying to transition yeah it's one of those, it's one of those it's one of those things where um you know when a guy gets to a certain age or a, or a girl gets to a certain age and somebody you know somebody's willing to pay enough dollars you say yeah man fuck it if you you know if you can make that kind of money and and, and you're not going to get yourself too badly hurt you know there has to be a certain point with you know every fighter um you know if they get offered a fight you know it's risk versus reward and you know if the reward's enormous yeah fuck it man everybody's you know everybody has to make a living right yeah um, no. It's interesting. I want to see how she does, you know, with Paige. Um, she's working with Maureen Shea with her boxing. Mm. You guys don't know who Maureen Shea is, man. Just check I, any I've seen, um, I actually seen earlier on, uh, you know, I was, was looking through your Instagram, looking at videos. And it's one of these things with, um, I think a lot of people, I don't anymore, you know, because we have Katie Taylor kind of over here and, and she's legit. She's not good for a woman. She's, she's just good. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, was, I watched you doing some Met stuff with her. And you can tell from the way she moves and she pivots and she creates angles. You go, yeah, she's fucking, she's good. Not good for a woman. She's just fucking good. Yeah, very yeah, sharp yeah. and very, you know, just the movement. You could tell by the movement that she's very, very good. Yeah, te- um, technician, a technician. So that's something that Paige really needs right now from a, from a technical side, for boxing at least, because she's coming from that MMA kind of, you know, jolty in and out background. And 
um, you know, what we want to do is we want to increase her ability to have awareness and have and, and increase her defense, you know, and, and work on that head movement, work on being in control inside the pocket. Maureen is going to be, you know, an astronomical figure in that in that uh, progression. Yeah. Of, I would say for yeah. me, the goal for me is to get her stronger, to gain more power output because it's two minute rounds. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, yeah. you know, conditioning does need to be there. But, you know, it, it, the goal of this sport is to knock them out, is to knock your opponent out 100 percent. You know what I mean? Yeah. People. Want that. Yeah. Um, so if we can increase that power production. That's going to be key for sure. Yeah. How much how much coaching difference is involved, Phil? We're going from you know a set well from MMA a four or a six ounce glove or from a boxing sixteen ounce glove down mm. to no gloves. You know because you're not going to be able to really have a guard that you would in traditional boxing where you can kind of play a bit peekaboo. Is that because I think that's going to be one of the things that can make or break bare knuckle as well as do mm. people go back and look at essentially a hundred years ago nineteen twenties and Jim Braddock and John yeah, L. Like saying, John, L. John L. Sullivan. <laughs> yeah, the kind of lean back style rather than, you know, tucking and walking forward behind the gloves. Is that going to play a big part in it, do we think? Yeah, I, 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 you know, in a lot of ways, if they're not just fucking crazy, you're going to see not a whole lot of action. You know, those old school fights, you didn't see a whole lot, you know, with the with the bare knuckle. But um, we'll see, man. I think I think obviously the distance is going to be a little bit different. Um, strengthening up their hands are definitely are going to be more of a more of a concern um we need to make sure that their hands their wrists you know those are strengthened up accordingly because you don't have that i mean you have protection on your wrist but still you know you're, you got bare there's nothing on your knuckles so we want to make sure yeah. that we're on density um you know just not so that can you know protect the athlete as much as possible it's not going to totally prevent but we can reduce the risk and um yeah, man, I think I think, you know, from an action standpoint is just being able to move the head because you you don't have the guard there. You don't have the gloves there. You know, you can't play peekaboo. You can't do any of that shit. You have to be able to, you know, duck, you know, hit positions and and, and maneuver your way out of there. And, you know, good yeah. pivots, foot movement, you know, things of that nature. That's going to play a big role. One of the, uh, you know, I remember when, um, you know, when Paulie Malinaji had, um, you know, announced he was he was going to fight Artem. As a you know, I was a you know a Pauly fan, and it's just, he's so wrong for for you know he just he, you know he can't fucking crack an egg as you know as yeah. I say, and um, <laughs> it was such a bad move from the get go. You're like Pauly, like it's one of those things where as a fan you can put your arm around you, Pauly. Why this is so fucking bad? This is such a terrible idea for you. I don't yeah. really advise him on that. Definitely, it's all wrong for him. Definitely not a the good the best move. I, I think guys that are going to excel in this sport are guys that are gonna bite down on their mouthpiece, come forward and hit you with every fucking thing that they have. You know, and and, and you have nothing. You're laying people out, you know, with fucking sixteen ounce gloves on. You take that glove off, man, and it's bad. You know what I mean? That's why I think that's why I like Jake Boswick. If you guys don't know who Jake Boswick is, man, take you go ahead. Was, uh, hit him up on like see his YouTube and stuff. But he also was in a lot on my Instagram. But one of the strongest athletes I have, you know, can squat, you know, well over 400 pounds, can deadlift well over 500 pounds, um, but can fucking move. He's explosive and he can crack, man. He can punch. So like, and he's and he's like a pit bull. He's super. He's thick. You know, he's like 205 pounds, my size, five eight, five nine. 
and uh, just tatted up all over the fucking place. He looks like a fighter for sure. You know what I'm saying? So that's the guy that you want to have in a bare knuckle fight. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't want to yeah. have Ali Malinaji in a fucking bare knuckle fight. You know, it just didn't yeah. even look. It's such a such a terrible idea. When the fight was announced, is what you know the certain fights get announced. You just like, who the fuck? Um, you know, one of the more you know, one of the most recent ones was. Um, did you see? Oh, shit, I forgot the name now. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was a a women's fight. Mm. Uh, and the, the, girl, the girl came out what was her name? Some girl came out and she was like 5-0 and, and she was fighting somebody who was a world champion and she came out and it was one of those things where she came out and she stood and kind of put her hands up and got knocked the fuck out in like 10 seconds it's just like who the fuck yeah. it, was, it, was, it was hilarious but like really scary Some I, don't, I don't really like doing like what I don't like seeing that. I don't like seeing mismatches like that, though. You no, know what I'm saying? No, no, no. I want to see do. two guys or two girls in there that are evenly matched, and yeah. you know, they're going at it, bro. And I think that that that's another thing. It's like you cannot not you can't you know not have an evenly matched fight in this sport when you're trying to build the sport. You know, um, yeah. I think guys like and they gotta and they gotta you know how they say it. it's like it's like you know. Um, Styles make fights, you know, and, and matchups are everything. And you got to have two guys that are willing to go in there and, and pull out the best of each other. And I think mm. that that, or girls or whatever have you, but, you know, I think that that's something that they need to get, you know, handle on very quickly because MMA and, and boxing are doing that, and they've been doing that for years. Mm. Do you just, just, um, just, the page stuff. Do you think um, does being Paige Van Zant does that hurt her or help her? Because you know, I, I'm assuming some people will give her shit because she's a fucking good looking girl. Yeah. But open doors because you know how does it work? You almost feel sorry for somebody in that position because you you know you think some people just don't take her seriously. But she's a fucking good fighter. She's she's tough though, man. Just because she looks like you know she's a pretty girl and she's you know, but at the end of the day, she's a tough fucking son of a bitch, man. She's like. She's honestly, if you look at the fight, she's never really given up. Like, you've seen one of the... Yeah, like, yeah, her arm was all broken, yeah. Yeah, like, she's not, she doesn't give up. And I, and I can, and I tested her out, you know, because I, I do like to, I do like to see, you know, inside the weight room or inside the training room, um, how much actual mental toughness are they going to have and how much pride are they going to have? And, and, and I put her through this one test that I usually can see that and, and she pushed it until I had to stop the test, which really showed mm -hmm. me who she was, you know, um, you know, personally, obviously you see it on TV, but yeah. you, and I talked to her a little bit more and why she wanted to do it. And she's all game, man. And I think that the only thing that she needs to be start to get comfortable with is her, is her technical ability, you know, her, her technique. Mm -hmm. And um, once that happens, once she gets confident in her hands and her movement, then it's gonna be it's gonna be fun to watch. You're gonna see a pretty girl go in there and try to take heads off, and that's 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 a superstar in the making. If I mean she's already a superstar, but in that particular sport, yeah. she can really aim up a little bit more now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I to be fair, I, I thought um, uh, her husband Austin. Um, you know, I didn't really know a lot a lot about him, and you know, I, you know, I, I just seen them on Instagram and stuff, and you go, okay, this guy's just you know, a little bit of a poser. And then he fucked up Richie Martinez and went, oh, shit, he's legit. Yeah. 
You know when yeah. you, you and it, you know I suppose everybody's guilty of it, and I was guilty of it. Kenny going, okay, he's a little poser. He went on stage of posting like loads of like almost naked shit, and you're going, this guy's a fucking poser. And he fucked up Ricky <laughs> Martinez, and it's like, oh, okay, yeah, he yeah, can, he can, he can, he can fight his ass off. Um, but he, what, what um, got, sorry, I haven't chance to 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 meet him yet. Um. Because he, he caught COVID, so now they're in they're in oh, they're, okay. they're you know they're getting their quarantine on. But yeah, man, I know that he could fight. And the thing was, it, it wasn't it was a fact that I think they met in Oregon. So I'm not gonna speak out of turn with this because I don't know the true story. But I mean, the kid he was a fighter way before he met Paige. You know what I'm saying? Oh, so okay. he fucking yeah. he, what I heard, and he's at American Top Team right now working with some of the best. So you know, we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, if you if, if you can if you can uh, submit to Richard Martinez, man, you can fucking you can fight for sure. Um, what one of the things I wanted to ask you, uh, Phil, was what? So when you work with a new athlete, how do you go about? I'm assuming you have like a a base test to see where everybody is. How do you like? How do you go about judging people? Like what what's you know? How do you go about that? There's several there's several different things that we'll do. Um, we got a physical exam, we got a physiological exam, also have a mental exam and a personality test. Because um, I want to see who I'm working with. That's that's first and foremost. So I'll sit them down for about an hour and a half. Um, they'll do what's called a Braverman's test, and it's a personality exam, and it measures your uh, neurotransmitter dominance. So if somebody's acetylcholine dominant or dopamine dominant, I'll get an understanding of how they react to certain things and how I should actually coach them. And then we'll have just a conversation on like, you know, what's their why and why are they why are they where they're at now and why do they come to see me and what do they feel like is necessary for them to get to the next level or get to that championship fight or, you know, whatever have you. And then I'll get them on the, the training floor and we'll go through a physiological assessment. So, you know, baseline testing, I'm just trying to see general fitness. I'm trying to see how okay. well they're getting into camp. So whether that be like yeah. a BO2 test, a lactate threshold test. Um, a field-based test that we do is called a maximal aerobic speed test or a maximal aerobic power test. And I'll do that with like basic, basic things like an assault bike or an mm-hmm. air, ergometer or, you know, something like that, that I can measure out power production at the highest level in the aerobic zones. And that can give me a gauge on how much I need to push them from, from a percentage standpoint. Um, other things like strength, you know, uh, strength endurance. Uh, maximal strength, absolute strength, things of that nature, and then relative strength, mm. depending on the weight class. Um, uh, mobility assessment, I'll do what's called functional range Functional range assessments. It's a functional range conditioning principle. And all it is is we're just going through, we're going through controlled articular rotations of each joint capsule. So I'm mm. starting from like, the, I, with, with Paige, I started from her big toe. Like I was just trying to see how well she can manipulate and move her big toe and articulate the joints. Um, if she has true control of her of her toes and of her feet, well, she'll have better overall ability to create force onto the ground. And from yeah. there, go up the kinetic chain into the outer extremities to allow us to produce that force appropriately to get that knockout. So again, it starts from the feet, starts from the ground up. You know, and then we'll go through the ankle, the knee, the hip, you know, spine. Um, I'll watch for stability issues. Um, that's something that we like to do on the floor. So I'll do like a um, like a side plank. I'll do a bear crawl variation or a, or a catwalk. Those are just like primal movements that I'm just trying to see proprioception. I'm just trying to see how well they can maneuver themselves in space, have that kinesthetic mm. awareness. Um, and then also just stabilize the, the, the trunk. 
That's important when you're trying to produce force. Is if we can have proximal stiffness, we can increase mobile, we can increase mobility mm -hmm. extremities. And we can also yeah. that energy from the trunk out to the outer extremities with maximal force. So again, if they, it all starts from the ground into the midsection. And if we can have those strong and stable and, and uh, have active end range control in those joints, we're gonna be really we're gonna be really set to do the things we need to do to get them better for the fight. You know, so that's really? the base. Um, I also do uh, I also do breath holds and I'll do a CO2 tolerance test. And that's basically showing me how to utilize and take in oxygen. And that's going to be very good to know because we got to see, all right, are they going to be able to buffer out lactate more efficiently um, than a person who can't use that oxygen as efficient and they can't produce ATP or adenosine triphosphate, which is, I don't want to get too sciencey, but it's like the, the body's natural energy source, right? Um, mm -hmm produce that, then they can produce more energy in the fight and they can reproduce power outputs for a long duration. And that's really what the, what the goal is, is with any sport, yeah. our endurance sport, um, yeah. it's the goal, repeated efforts. So we want to be able to repeat yeah. out density for the entire time of the fight or the match, you know? So those, those are my, those are my go-to really. And I have like a ton of other ones that, that I feel is necessary depending on the person. It's really subjective um, because I, yeah. I got to you know, and then and then you're looking at then I'm also going over scheduling. I'm going over you know, how well they're able to recover from training sessions, what their what their experiences are inside the weight room and outside the weight room, um, whether it be, you know, from a from a martial arts or a boxing standpoint or if they had a college background where they did some strength and conditioning there and they have a base of strength. Uh, if they don't have that and a lot of fighters don't, then we have to start them off on a general physical fitness regimen where they're just mm -hmm. basically most simple movements to induce more strength and power and down the line, of course, and just gain that, that those prerequisites needed to, um, to go up for a higher level of performance going further inside of camp. Yeah. So like, I'm a sh like, I, you know, I'm going to assume that you would, would you tell somebody from the beginning? So if it's something new that you have, you've never worked with, would you say to them, we really need a year together to really make this work or do you work on camp by camp? I mean, it's very hard to tell a fighter we're gonna need to do a year of training before we see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, 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 not a year, but you know, would you say a year down the line we could be in a fucking really strong position, but we'll get there slowly? Do you, like, yeah. So a lot of times, yes. Like I'll say, you know what? We're gonna see tremendous increases. You know, because they'll come to me before a fight. Obviously, a lot of the guys will come to me before a fight, mm. and you usually have about eight weeks out, ten weeks out, twelve weeks out. Or, you know, they'll come to me short notice and the shortest notice I will do is six weeks, nothing less than six weeks, because it's kind of pointless at that point. You know what I mean? Like you give me five or four weeks, I'm not going to be able to do much. I'm just maintaining. And if anything, if I'm throwing something new at you, you're probably going to be sore and it's going to have a negative effect on your preparation. So I kind of let them if they come to me before weeks out, I kind of just tell them, like, all right, I give them like a standard conditioning plan but nothing crazy. And I'll tell them to come back to me once they're done with their fight and we can start a full, you know, full off camp and in -camp session and progression. Um, but yeah, ideally, you know, you want to have at least two or three camps in to really understand an athlete and how they, you know, how they um, recover and how they utilize the techniques and the protocols that we're trying to yeah. accomplish for their own good. And again, it just takes time because it takes time for the coach to understand the athlete and the athlete to understand the coach's system. Mm, you know, so yeah. 
Definitely. I think it takes that amount of time. And the good thing is that, you know, um, I put a large amount of my content online and I do that for, for two reasons. One, I want to help coaches and two, I want to help fighters that can't necessarily train with me, but want to mm. do it the right way in a sense. And most of the time, like a guy, like a, a guy by the name of Randy Costa, who was a very young UFC fighter, um, undefeated, um, knockout artist. Um, he was following me on Instagram and following my workouts prior to him even coming to American Top Team and starting with me. So when he came into the system, he already knew half of what I do. You know, now it's a little different, obviously, because I'm hands on and I can't put everything out there. But um, but he knew what I what I was planning on doing because he followed me in my in, you know, all the content I put out which is really good because then we can kind of hit the ground running a little bit more as opposed to me kind of getting them into the system, having them buy into the system and then go from there, you know? So that's why I love the fact that I have a platform to show that content. And that was the reason why I started doing that too, as well is because I was getting a, a ton of inquiries from other fighters that couldn't make it to ATT or, you know, to me in person. And they were able to follow along. And that's why I, I developed those programs and everything like that so that people can still get the training in necessary but not have to travel, you know, now that, and, or me have to travel there, you know, so it works out. What, what's the big difference, Phil, in your programming between the camp stuff and the, the off-season or the non-camp? Is it predominantly volume differences or is it exercise, changing exercise? Is it more build and then maintain what's the main difference between the two sort of phases or, or multiple phases depending on how you set it up uh, it, it's it's different on all fronts i would say it's different exercises the exercises that we use more general in nature outside of camp um you know the movements the volume the frequency is going to be higher um in camp or outside of camp than in camp in camp we're working more from a from a strength and speed perspective we're working more strength speed power you know in camp because we're trying to maximize our power production at that time outside of camp we're trying to develop basic strength so that they, that can potentiate into that power production and that absolute strength um building up some hypertrophy in the right places even um even though you know again there's it's a weight class sport uh, we want to make sure that we're building a sense of armor on the body so that we can take care of the body you know the body can withstand loads and uh, absorption of force and that's also that also is not just for muscle, that's for tendons and, and soft tissue. So the ligaments and tendons need to be tightened and stiffened in order for us to have that stretch reflex increased. And that's going to help them with explosive power, rate of force production, so, so things of that nature. And we want to start small, we want to start slow, and then progress from there. So we'll do a large amount of aerobic work. We'll do a large amount of strength endurance and strength, I, I, I would say, general strength work with with sled drag variations and prowler push variations simple squat patterns push press carry patterns um in certain type of tempos so that we can develop local muscular endurance that's going to be very important when you're trying to have the ability to buffer out lactic acid especially in a sport that requires a large amount of quasi isometrics or you know tension relaxation tension relaxation um you know that's that's gonna that's gonna hinder your snap on your punch or snap on your kicks or your takedowns. So we want to be able to to have the ability to have a large aerobic base 
So again, like I talked about with oxygen utilization, we want to be able to do that. We want to be able to increase that and increase our VO2 max to a degree just so that we can increase our buffering capacity. And that's going to be crucial when you're talking about, let's say, for instance, a guy with a wrestling background who's going to constantly take shots over and over again to try to get the fight to the ground. And that takes a large amount mm -hmm. of muscle strength and, and, and glycogen. And, um, you know, if they can't recover, if they can't use oxygen to recover um, or, you know, use it, the goal really, again, is to make sure that they have the ability to repeat those bouts and increase the ATP production. So we need oxygen to do that, you know, so that's first and foremost. And then once we get into camp, we focus on the things that they're going to be really good at, um, their, their focus points inside the fight, what their game plan is. And then we can direct the exercises that'll have the highest correspondence to whatever their game plan is, you know, whether that be, you know, they're trying to take the, like, again, if they're trying to take their, their opponent down, we'll probably be doing a large amount of Zercher squats or something that's going to be in a hinge pattern. Um, you know, good mornings are going to be very important. Um, if they're trying to stop a shot, we're going to be doing a lot of hip extension work anyways. So a lot of it's going to be posterior chain dominant, you know, we'll be doing a lot of uh, split stand variations or lateral movements. Uh, multi-directional patterns, change of direction, you know, things of that nature, because we want them to be able to get in and out of the pocket and be able to change direction and increase or increase the ability to absorb and redirect force. That's very important, too, as well. Um, and that's just from MMA. If I'm looking at boxing or judo or jujitsu, same thing. We want to make sure that we're understanding the sport and the demands of, that are in the sport from a from a bioenergetic demand standpoint and from a biomechanics standpoint. And then I can correlate the movements and the tempos and the uh, methods and modalities of the training to adhere to the specifics of the sport and help the athlete mm. out. That makes sense. I'll, I'll give you. I'll give you a laugh. Well, I'm a, I'm a sports science grad as well, like yourself. And now one of our lecturers, just when you talk about buffer and lactic acid, one of mm. our uh, lecturers at the time was a, a cross country uh, runner and was in the British cross country team. So you're going back to the kind of late 90s um, when he was competing at the top level. So back in the dark days of sports science. And uh, one of the things that his coach had told him to do to buffer lactic acid was to take a lot of bicarbonate of soda and drink it. But the only problem is when you when you take a lot of bicarbonate of soda, it also has a laxative effect. And he, uh, he won the British Cross Country Championships and was interviewed live on BBC over here. And the guy was like, so you've just beaten the British record unit? He's like, can I have a minute? I've shit myself. And he was literally just covered. <laughs> 90s-style cross-country sorts. I just shattled down his legs because he was running, he literally pouring him out of him. Because he reckoned he'd had about 15 grams of bicarbonate of soda in the build-up to the race. And he just, he just shat all out as he was running. <laughs> oh, I'll do I'll tell my guys to do like a, a quarter teaspoon of baking soda, a yeah. quarter. If if that, sometimes it's, that's too much. Yeah. I had a had a guy one time that misinterpreted teaspoon to tablespoon. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. He he was in the bathroom all day long. He didn't make it to training that day. Um, but there's there's things like uh, there's things like beet juice that I like to that I like to have the guys take. We'll take like two glasses a day of beet juice. Um, that's going to obviously it's a basal dilator. So that's going to help blood flow. Um, and that's what you really want. You really want maximal blood flow and, you know, increasing the ability to to get the oxygen to the working tissue. You know, so just yeah, just, you've been down in the in the southern states as well. Where's your stance on pickle juice for cramping? Um, I used to do it in college. Um, I mean, if you like it, 
I don't see why not. It, it, it's sodium, you know, in all actuality. I think you should always be salting your foods, um, preferably pink Himalayan salt because it has 84 trace minerals in it. Um, so I'll have my guys do that. I do that. Um, I, I think if you're salting your foods and, and you're making sure that your ratio of water intake to salt are appropriate, um, you'll be fine. I, I think it was – I think I, I got this one from Stan Efferding. You guys know who Stan Efferding is? He does yeah. a vertical diet. Um, power lifter, strong man, bodybuilder guy, um, super smart. But uh, he says for every gallon of water, you need to take in three grams of sodium. So every gallon. So I usually have the guys think about, and it's in Florida. It's humid here. We sweat a lot. Two gallons is standard for us. You know, so mm -hmm. two gallons, that's what, uh, what's that? Eight liters, I believe, right? Eight liters of water? Yeah. Yeah, give just or, maybe nine. Yeah, give or take. Yeah, so, yeah, a lot so more, I think. Six, looking at like probably about three, five to six grams of uh, of sodium a day, and that's that's pretty that's pretty standard. You know what I mean? I, I would, and especially if you're salting your foods and then taking in some uh, some type of electrolyte drink after training or pre mm -hmm. or pre training. Um, I like to do that too as well. I also have them do um, if it's if the training session requires a large amount of uh, of glycogen, I would have them do some sort of dextrose, so like a branch cyclic dextrin, something that's going to be fast acting, has has like high um, high uh, digestion uh, ability to digest faster, I should say. And um, I'll do that intra workout. So they'll do some type of amino, whether it be uh, branch chain amino acid. Then they'll do some branch cyclic dextrin, and then um, and then some sort of electrolyte like powder. So they mm -hmm. get the potassium, magnesium, sodium, and they'll drink that. They'll sip that throughout their workout. That's only when they're doing like weight training movements um, or something that's highly lycolytic in a conditioned fashion. Um, and that's for performance benefits, not not for like you know, obviously not for you know body fat reduction or anything like that. Now, one of the things that uh, you know, because we're talking about sport specific stuff here. Um, I was watching, uh, oh, sorry, I, uh, I watched actually the a little bit of the your podcast with um, and you were, you guys were talking about, uh, you know, the ability to do I think it was powerlifting, boxing, or you know, or generally two sports, you know, like can you do them both at a good level? Mm -hmm. uh, I, I didn't finish. I'm not finished watching that podcast yet. But what was your take? Do you do you think you could do two sports at a good level, or because she was quite adamant, it seemed that um, it's not possible. You know, a, a good level, you just can't seem to do two. Who, Steffi? Um, you were talking about Steffi? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, listen. If she has the ability to totally focus on that particular field of training. Yeah. If she if she takes certain aspects of of work ethic and athleticism and her strength into it, and then she takes her ability to be coachable, I do believe that it it is possible. Um, mm -hmm. Are you going to reach the pinnacle of success in you know two different? I, I I think it's very seldom that you see that. You know, I think like Bo Jackson was one of those guys. You know, um, there's not a whole lot. You know, what I mean, even Michael Jordan kind of failed miserably at that. You know what I mean? So. It's very hard to do. Only a chosen few, if if any, can probably accomplish it. But I do feel that if you can focus, you can be successful. I don't know if you're going to be the most elite, but yeah. you can 
successful in it as long as you are focused and you have the right people around you yeah yeah um yeah it was just it was an interesting it's an interesting point um you know can you be really good at two things or do you have to specialize um yeah it was just uh you know it's an interesting conversation i will finish that at some point but uh yeah um I think the last thing, the last thing, because we're kind of moving on in time now, we've went past that, you know, always get away with the last thing I want to talk to you about is um, fantasy, fight guy, what, what what kind of fantasy fights, what would be your, your all-time fantasy fight? What, any sport, you know, MMA, boxing, whatever you want, what would be your, your fantasy fight? Fuck, alright, so Mike, can I merge sports? Can I merge Yeah, them? fuck man. Fuck your fantasy, you go for it. <laughs> yeah. So I want, I want, I want, um, I want prime Mike Tyson. Uh, and I want, I want John Jones in his prime. Ooh. <laughs> in, 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 out. And I want it with MMA gloves, no kicks in wrestling. Holy shit. So, but here, a lot of people say, well, John's going to take him down, right? But have you ever, if, and these are probably new people that'll say that, but if you ever watched Tyson's movement, good luck trying to take him down, trying to grab that dude. He's mm. going to tear you up. If he gets on the inside, yeah. good luck. So that, was, that would be something I would want to see for sure, you know, would be a, a, a prime Mike Tyson. With MMA gloves and no kicks involved? Mm. Perfect. Murder someday. <laughs> you know, play, play Mike with four ounce gloves on would pro- probably break somebody's jaw. Take yeah. it right off their head. Um, yeah, it's always one of those things. I, yeah, I love the you know the fantasy fight thing. You know, you can go in as many as you want. Um, yeah, I, I you know I think uh, one that probably almost happened you know far too late would be uh, you know Anderson Silva and Roy Jones um, and a similar kind of blend of. Do you know what I mean? Probably no grappling, but allow some kick. That'd be amazing. Prime Roy, I've said this to Ali so many times, Prime Roy Jones is the most... A guy who did fucking everything wrong. <laughs> but was amazing. I know, I know. The jab. Nah, nah man. I'm not, I'm not going to bother about jab. I'm just going to lunge into this left hook. Like, what the fuck? Um, yeah, that's my guy, you know, Roy Jones. You know? And actually, it's, um, it's quite interesting now because you know Roy and, and Mike are going to fight you know if they'd had that fight uh, like 2002 when, when Roy had beat John Rees that would have been a fucking great fight yeah yeah, yeah. I'd have it's loved it, to have seen that fight those, those types of fights you're like damn if it was only like a few years back or like both of them in their prime you never yeah. know you know yeah. I, I do believe in this fight though I think Mike's going to take him even though like I'm not biased because I'm a, I'm a Roy Jones fan myself too Shit, I used to listen. This is how much of a Roy Jones fan I am. I used I actually bought his album. His fucking <laughs> <laughs> <That's, laughs> I, I am a Roy Jones fan, but I, I just it's hard to it's hard to like bet against the Mike Tyson that is hungry and confident and, and sober, you know. So that that's yeah. that's have the right people around them. Shit. That's crazy. Yeah. Right mind, you know? What's, did, um, you hear, what, did you hear, Phil, who, uh, who Mike what, Tyson was originally offered before Roy Jones? Um, uh, was it, uh, who was it? 
Was it a uh, Let's oh, Go Champ? Let's Go Champ. What's the name? Um, well, no, he before uh, that. Shannon, Shannon. Yeah. I, well, Shannon, yeah, but apparently before that, it was on Joe Rogan I was listening to it, and he said the first fight they offered him was Bob Sapp. Oh, yeah, that would have been that would have been terrible. <laughs> yeah, Bob, 400 pound Bob Sapp. Bob Sapp's so... Mike and Roy are both, you know, they're both, you know, well past the cell. Bob Sapp is so shot. Um, oh. Bro, he sucks. Yeah, he's one of the he's one of those guys that probably shouldn't be allowed to fight. But um, yeah, it's uh, you know I'm going to watch some. Uh, you know who doesn't like Mike Tyson and Roy's Roy's my guy, so uh, I'll I'll look forward to watching that. But um, but yeah, I guess uh, I guess we've uh, we've probably taken enough of your uh, your time tonight, uh, Phil. We'll let you get on and and do whatever you you're doing. But um, yeah, Just was, before uh, we do, a nice conversation. Yeah, just before we wind up, Philly, fully Phil there. Um, just so people are looking to find out more about you, you mentioned your Instagram a few times. Where can people go and find you on the internet and on Instagram? And we'll add this in the notes as well. Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks. Uh, my Instagram is at DeRueStrong, D-A-R-S-T-R-O-N-G. Twitter is at DeRueStrong. My website is DeRueStrong.com. I have all my programs, my, my coaching mentorship on there, my certification course. Um, and my, my YouTube, my YouTube's blowing up right now, so I'm happy about that because I put a lot of fucking effort into that thing. Uh, Phil DeRue yeah. Strong, just search that. I put a lot of videos, a lot of content on there too, as well. Yep, awesome. I uh, subscribed, I, sub, I sub, subscribed, subscribed to the YouTube uh, earlier tonight actually because I didn't realize you had one, so I went on it. Oh, fucking subscribe. Um, so it's nice, it's yeah. nice when guys put you know, it's nice when high level guys put out content because you can actually look and go. I'm kind of going down the right route. I'm kind of getting things not a million miles wrong, so it's nice to to verify yeah. that and get some ideas. And um, yeah, it's uh, you're putting out some some great content um, uh, and obviously doing some fantastic work with some real real good uh, real good guys. What was the name of your um, the bare knuckle guy from London? I'll write that down. Jake Boswick. Jake J A K E B O S T W I C K. Bastwick. I'll uh, I'll write that down. I'll come out because I like watching the, I like watching some fighters. So um, yeah, thanks uh, thanks for your time and uh, hopefully the the knee gets better soon. Um, <laughs> and you you you're back to to full strength and 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 getting on again. Um, like like you know if if you're ever in Scotland, fucking give us a shout, man. We'll uh, we'll, we'll do, have man. a little roll about and and uh, bring gloves, man. We can spar. <laughs> All right. Phil episode forty done and dusted. Thanks, guys. All right, guys. The Silly Goose Gang Podcast.